Hi, and welcome to Nacio Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Matt Pincus here in Washington, D.C. On today's episode of Nacio Voices, we'll be joined by Mark Raymond, Connecticut CIO, who just last week marked 10 years serving as state CIO. We're excited to talk with Mark about his decade of state government service, how his technology and security priorities have changed throughout his tenure, and, of course, for him to provide some words of wisdom to some of our less seasoned CIOs. Well, let's bring him on. Mark, welcome and thanks for joining us on NASIA Voices. Thanks, Matt. I'm really happy to be with you both this morning. Awesome. Well, so first off, Amy and I want to congratulate you on your 10 years as CIO and for receiving NASIO's Decade of Leadership Award this past week. You know, with an average tenure of 23 months, you certainly exceeded the tenure for state CIO. So that's kind of where where we want to start. You know, as this month marks 10 years of service for you. Prior to serving as CIO in Connecticut, you spent a lot of time in the private sector. Can you tell us about your professional background and what has kept you in state government for the past decade? Sure. Well, I did do 21 years in uh, the private sector before becoming the Connecticut CIO. Uh, All of that time was spent in the consulting industry and all of that time was spent consulting to state and local governments. So in many ways, I feel like I've been in public service for my entire 31-year professional career, uh, if you leave out the gas station and the supermarket jobs. Um, But being able to serve the public on both sides, right, from the from both the private sector and from internally has been incredibly rewarding. You know, one of the things I think that uh, I've learned about public service on both sides is that it really has a pace of its own that, that people need to understand and, and some people need to grow into, you know, as the public sector is really set up to help support the status quo and not to change rapidly. So when you understand that, you can see the patterns of how things change and, and what you can do to uh, influence those. For me, you know, I, I changed sides really for family reasons. My wife was going back to the workforce. I was looking to get off the road. Um, and I knew I wanted to see how government operated from the inside, uh, having been in that consulting business. And, and that's been an absolutely fabulous decision for me. I think what's kept me with the state for, for this amount of time is really patience and persistence. You know, I've always had this innate desire to serve. And I think having a, an even keel to manage through all of the ups and downs and to take setbacks and put them into a, a perspective of, of what change really takes helps to, you know, have tomorrow be better than, than it was yesterday. And that, that's really how you have to measure things in, in public service. I think that's great. And one question that I have for you is, you know, we talk about recruiting and retention and and how, you know, it's hard to keep state government employees from going to the private sector. But given you've sort of served in in both of those capacities in the private sector and the public sector, I mean, what do you tell your staff who are looking to move on to the private sector? Like how do you keep good people serving in state government? 
I don't try. The world is full of opportunities. One of the, you know, and, and having started in the consulting industry where there's decent amount of turnover, you recognize that um, the best thing you can do is help an individual find what their passion is. And, and that may change over time. You know, if their passion is in public service, that, you know, helping them find that is one thing. If their passion is creating a secure retirement, right, th- that can be another so, you know, encouraging people to explore those opportunities, recognizing that it is really a small world where people are working and seeing people move from public sector to private sector and back, that's, that's not a bad thing. You mm-hmm. know, I, I think creating the space for them to understand really what they're getting into and why, that's a much better foundation to build retention and recruiting conversations on. That makes sense. So the first part of our conversation with you today is, I guess I would call it like more of a retrospective, you know, looking back on the past 10 years, you know, talking about the beginnings of your career and sort of where we are now. And then we're certainly going to ask you about some current and and future initiatives. But, you know, 10 years is a long time in the world of technology. How have your priorities as CIO changed from when you first started versus now? Mm. Well, you know, in uh, in 2011, we were, you know, moving out of state data centers. We were rolling out fiber, you know, for broadband expansion. At that time, it was with, uh, you know, the federal grants around the broadband opportunities program. We're working on security improvements. And so some of our priorities haven't really changed all that Very much. Very similar. Yeah. Um, what has risen more recently, I think, and really demonstrated and dominated through the pandemic is that we now have real evidence that digital government is creating efficiencies and value. It's not just a premise. It's not just a promise. Um, it, it really dominates our state conversations about having agencies see the power of data in engaged residents and businesses and being when we know our customers in meaningful ways and treat their data with privacy and and with their consent, we can begin to be seen as a helper that government strives to be and not as a, a regulator, which is just, you know, trying to catch them doing something that's not right. And so, you know, that's the where we're spending more time is really around that personalized government experience adding in all of the others, right? So people need access with broadband. We need to have secured computing. And and so all of those other pieces still continue to be part of our priorities. So if 10 years is a long time in the world of technology, uh, about 30 years is, you know, even longer. So I'm, I'm curious what you would say are one or two of the biggest technological innovations that have occurred in your career, say, since you graduated from college. Mm. The easier answer is the ubiquity of technology and its, its presence in everything that we do. You know, there were no cell phones, or you know, they came in cars with you know a, a wire on them, and yeah. you know, the portable computing wasn't there. Cloud computing didn't exist. It was a lot harder to get technology done. It was, it, and technology was much more structured because it changed less quickly. Mm-hmm. So I, I think having everything accessible all of the time 
is by far the biggest change over the last 30 years. And that's great in a lot of areas, right? For our business, we can become more responsive to people. We can provide greater services than we ever had before. But there are a lot of downsides of having people available all the time to be able to help, to have the number of technologies and the the, the pace of change in technology really push the envelopes on training, you know, how people need to be trained, the skill sets that they need to have, how many that they need to have. Uh, I also think that who cares about technology has changed dramatically, right? So mm. today, children are given tablets and cell phones as playthings, and they they grow in their digital literacy almost, you know, from day one or, you know, year one. And, you know, what are the impacts of that? For me, those are the the biggest areas of change. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense that for better or worse and the expectations of availability on people has changed. And mm-hmm. you talk about the kids, that's definitely something that, that I think about as well as my daughter went back and forth to his kindergarten every day with a Chromebook this year and learn how to use Zoom on her own, you know, while, while her dad and I are working. Um, it's, it's going to be interesting and something that you, we definitely kind of want to protect her from as long as we can, as much as possible in, in today's environment. But so I'm also curious, what are some of the IT initiatives that you've overseen in Connecticut over the last 10 years that you are most proud of? Mm. Well, they're in the early days, you know, Connecticut just did a fantastic job with our health insurance exchange. You know, we were one of the, there were a lot of people who struggled with the speed of that initiative, and, you know, including the federal government, you know, getting that right and having the right degree of focus, bringing the right people to the conversation. I think if we look at the early part of my, my tenure here in Connecticut, that's probably one of the things that, that I'm most proud of. And then, you know, more recently, the, the the pandemic is just littered with highlights. We've rolled out contact tracing. Connecticut has no county government. So, so we deliver our health services with a state central organization and then working with the you know, municipalities, really. And so we put a brand new platform in place for all of the municipalities to be able to use that had internet telephony, you know, one common secure data repository, we, you know, workflow across many different jurisdictions. We launched a exposure notification app and within sort of a three-week period of time had 1.2 million downloads and users on that. I mean, that's a third of our population who wow. demonstrated they're ready to, to utilize technology as long as we meet them where they are. I, and I think you know having a dedicated digital government team, which we put in place two years ago, but really delivered during the pandemic is is also one of the things that I'm that I'm super proud of. That's great. Yeah, a lot of examples over the time of the pandemic. And and I'm glad you brought up the pandemic before we did, because we talk about it probably too much on this podcast, but <laughs> but there's a lot to talk about. So, uh, Mark, recently, uh, your governor, Governor Lamont, announced that Connecticut would be consolidating all state IT agencies into one consolidated IT division. So tell us a bit about how Connecticut came to this decision and how will the new IT division work? Mm. So we we started by looking at what's happening in the world around us, right? And we were talking about that a little earlier today. You know, there's greater technology use. Uh, Technology is changing at a 
faster pace than it ever has before. Well, there's greater cyber risk, you know, you see it all around us and in the newspapers. And and there's there's an increasing resident and business demand um, and expectation about what government should be providing. So so we looked at the world and then we looked at ourselves in a mirror. And you know, when Governor Lamont came into office, he said, we want, we want to be an all digital government. And so we we recognize that if we're going to deliver on that promise, then we could not stay organized the way that we were. Uh, it would not allow us to build the flexible skills that we needed and the depth of skills. She could say that we really didn't have a choice to be a modern government and remain organized how we were. We were not checking the boxes that we needed to to be a digital government. And so we're bringing together all of the IT resources in our executive branch, and we're doing it in a very different way. You know, we're doing it over time. You know, the governor uh, announced, hey, we're doing this over a 12-month period of time, and we're involving our employees and our management in the work. So we're not cooking up a plan and telling them how it's going to be. We're inviting them into the conversation to have us develop what this future needs to look like together. So we're working with our agencies to gather best practices uh, that they may have in place and, and using those as a starting point for our new IT organization and you know, really having employees involved in every step of the way from creating new behaviors to our organization. So we have, you know, three new behaviors of which we'll hold ourselves accountable to, uh, to what kind of training people need and and how much communication that we should be putting out. What does career development look like? Um, we've created a new class of work that, that really standardizes and professionalizes the interaction between uh, IT and our agencies, and it's called customer success. And, and the people, the leaders who are in this group will you know, sit at the business table with our agencies and bring strategy, uh, service level reporting, you know, scorecarding around technology and innovations from across the country. And I, I think NASIO will be a, a continued source of resources on what's happening across the country and, and how we can help leverage that in, in Connecticut. It's really something really different that our agencies haven't seen before from us or from the technology people that had been serving them on an agency by agency basis. That's great. So I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. You know, Mark, you have served in almost every single role and capacity at NASIO during your time as CIO. Uh, I think they call it, you know, the full Ginsburg. Uh, you've been president of the association, vice president, secretary and treasurer. Uh, you've been on the EC. You've been co-chair of committees. So not to be too self-serving, obviously this is a NASIO podcast, but can you tell us why you've placed such an emphasis on the association um, over the past decade and and why you've remained so involved with NASIO? Yeah, um, Matt, it's totally self-serving. <laughs> <laughs> self-serving for us. <laughs> I get I get more out of this than I put in. Like, you know, this is really, you know, that's the bottom line. Like there's no other place where I put the time in 
and always get more back. So, you know, Nasio is really a place for me, like when I look at it and think about it, it's built on the premise that we're stronger together, right? That's how I think about it. And, and I've seen that behavior more times than I can even remember. So, you know, all of those roles that you talked about, every meeting, you know, conference, committee, you know, award that, that we do, I take away more for our state, for Connecticut, and for myself in the role that I'm in that allows me to contribute and do a better job. And, and I think that's really the power of NASIO. Lots of people focus on the uniqueness of states, and, and we are all different, right? That, that, that's part true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I think that focus is, is not entirely in the right place, right? That's a, for me, that's focusing on the pothole. Like, that's what's in front of us that's a, an impediment. It's not looking at the destination. NASIO helps us look at that destination, and, and that engagement is where, where do we need to go? What do we need to be doing next? And learning from our peers who have already overcome some of those hurdles, I think, is is what keeps this fresh and, and keeps me always wanting to be engaged in this great organization. I think that's a great point that you mentioned, which is sort of the, the collaborative nature of the association and, and having worked in the association world for a while, I think that's sort of the uniqueness of NASIO, which is, you know, providing, you know, of course the association does, does great work and puts out great products and certainly, you know, on the advocacy side, but I think what separates NASIO from other associations, and like I said, this is a self-serving portion of our of our conversation, is that the association provides the the opportunity and the platform for collaboration among CIOs and, and of course CISOs. Totally agree. And again, you know, from the cybersecurity committee and to you know the executive committee and, and everything in between, the uh, there is always something that someone's doing and a connection that's made that without participating in that, we would not be as far along as we are on, on our journey. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned serving as co-chair of the cybersecurity committee. Certainly, uh, these large-scale ransomware and, and cyber incidents have become part of the you know mainstream public discourse over the last couple months. How have you seen the nature of cyber threats and attacks change and evolve during your time as CIO? And do they keep you up at night? <laughs> well, you know, states uh, were never ever resourced to fight other nations, right? And that's not how our government was set up, right? It never started that way and we're still not. Um, But the nature of our threat and the emerging threat is exceeding any individual state's ability to keep up. And so that's the the biggest concern for me is that, you know, in many ways we've become accustomed to really the massive economic loss that's built into the system as it exists today. So if if you look last year, you know, the FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Center reported that there was $4.1 billion of of economic loss to the public in 2020. That's staggering. And it's just, you know, built into the cost of our doing business. And, And what that doesn't include, Matt, is but that we need to factor in is is the loss of confidence of people who, who may not be participating in the digital economy today, right? That they they see this happening and it's just one more thing that keeps them from not participating. 
we're going to create a safe place and a trusted place for people to work with governments and businesses online. We, we have to treat this threat very differently. I talked a little earlier about the slow and steady pace of government. Well, well, that slow and steady pace, it, it isn't keeping up with this threat. Mm-hmm. And, and during the pandemic, you saw that we could move quickly and, and that we could get things done in, in response to loss of life in a strategic way. My question is, can we keep that up? for cyber? Do we apply it to the cyber threat in a way that's meaningful that we're not doing today? Uh, I wouldn't say it keeps me up. Uh, I sleep pretty well, but that's my (laughs) biggest concern. (laughs) So we've had a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of CIO turnover in the last year, which, you know, is, is, pretty normal. We we have that, as Matt mentioned earlier, the average tenure is, I think, 23 months right now. So we have a lot of new CIOs. Do you have any advice for those new CIOs? Mm, yeah. So, so the, the the best thing that you can do is build the team, and then you know when you're done with building the team, continue building the team. Projects come and go, mandates, technologies, disasters, all those things are somewhat transient in in our environment. Uh, but it's about the people, right? It's it's how they respond. It's about the environment that we create for them to do what we do. That that really makes all of the difference. So if you're new to to public sector and haven't sort of been around for a while, it can be easy to fall into the trap of, oh, that's uh, HR's responsibility or civil service or labor relations. Um, And so it's really hard to change things, but it's actually pretty easy to own the environment to create a great place to work. It just takes some consolidated effort. If if you're focused primarily on the technology, uh, you're not going to be building something that's set up to last and continue to have benefits. The other bit of advice I'd say is, you know, to get started, you probably need to have a 75%, 25% mix between operational and strategic because you'll never get to have the strategic conversations if your operational disciplines are failing. So start there with that kind of mix and then shift. And it'll take a little bit of time, but that's the only way that you'll get the trust that you need to to put in larger scale changes. Yeah, solid advice. Well, Mark, before we let you go, we can't let you go without experiencing what many of your fellow CIOs and others have experienced, which is our lightning round. We'll ask you three questions about your life outside of work. Are you ready? Mm, I'm ready to go. Okay. I think we're reminiscing a lot about in-person NASIO conferences as we just completed our third virtual conference and probably last. So I'd love to know what is your favorite NASIO conference city? You've been to a lot of NASIO conferences. I have. I think it's hard to beat San Diego. The weather is great. The food is fantastic. Um, And then, you know, for us East Coasters, most of the work stops way earlier in the day. And so those, you know, that being pulled away for what's uh, exploding at home or or requires attention, you know, dies off sort of fairly early on in in the event. So it makes it much more enjoyable. Yes. Yeah. Gorgeous city. Okay. Number two, uh, what's something new you learned about yourself over the last year or a hobby that you picked up? Ooh, this would not be considered a hobby, but I've learned that you should always hire a professional sheetrocker. 
Um, <laughs> oh I, I took God. on a project in, in my living room to redo the ceiling and I started knowing it would be a project and finished it and it looks great, but the cleanup was not fun. No. So hire a professional, yeah. great advice. Don't do it yourself. Oh, I, I think a lot of people have taken on some DIY projects over the last year when you're just sitting around looking at your house all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Mixed success. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, and last question. Tell us a fun fact about you that fellow state CIOs may not know. Well, I uh, started with a, a project in, when my daughters were in high school, but uh, we've, we've gone back and mapped 17 generations of our family tree back to France. And so, you know, we have, have spent some time there. My wife is wholly Italian, so hers is far easier than mine, but it's been an interesting journey. And through that research, we'll uh, be adding more travel places on the list of, of places we're going to go once once we're completely out of the woods with the pandemic. Awesome. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast and, and giving us your time. Congratulations again on a decade of service. And, and certainly on a personal note, Amy and I have just really appreciated all the time that you give to us. And you said you learned something from every NASIO experience. And I think every conversation I have with you, I learned something. So yeah. uh, thank you so, so much. It's thank been a, an absolute pleasure to be with you today. I, uh, I look forward to a future conversation. Hopefully we can meet in person later this year. Yes. Here, here. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. All right. Have a great day. You too. Thanks again for listening to NACIO Voices. If you're a registered attendee for our NACIO Mid-Year Conference, you can now watch the conference sessions on demand in our conference hub. You can find it through NACIO.org. Thanks to all of our loyal listeners out there. If you like this episode, share with a friend. Talk with you next time.